for those that weren't here last month, um, my story started out with rejection. And as a child, I was rejected, uh, um, born into a mother who was 14 at the time. She had me at 16 and um, wanted to put me up for adoption. Uh, that wasn't her plan, but it was the family's plan. Uh, because she was a young mom, and I was born in 63. So you don't have to do the math. I'll do it for you. <laughs> I'll be 57 this year. But anyhow, that seems far, far away. But um, so my I, after that, just to try to move it forward, I... Uh, started feeling the the sense of rejection in my life as a baby and uh, my father rejected me my grandmother rejected me i was i wasn't in a good place and as a teenager i um, met the wrong people but felt that i was approved by them and uh, to bring that story on because i know that this is the story that is, you know, that is in in people's minds of just in awe. Um, I led a life of 10 years of prostitution. Um, I say I was a functioning prostitute only for the fact that I led a normal life. I had a normal job. And then at that point, I... Uh, decided that maybe getting married would change my who I was. Uh, at that point, I was 29, and I married a non-Christian because I didn't know God then, and he didn't know God. Um, I married a wonderful man and thought this is what was going to change me. This is how I was going to live my life, and everything was going to be good. We had a business together. He was a doting man. Uh, at 29, I thought I knew what I was doing because at 29, I wasn't young. I, was, I, was, I felt I was mature enough to understand. A year into my marriage, I started hearing really heavy thoughts in my head. And those thoughts were real. They started telling me about um, that I was no good that what I did was going to haunt me, that he was going to find out, because I, of course, never shared that with him, being in a place where I thought, he, I can't tell this man this, he'll never marry me. And at that point, I started hearing the voices. Uh, I never shared anything with anyone. I, we had an acreage out, um, out of town, about a half an hour to town, and I would drive home from work, and I, I did shift work. So it was mostly at night when I'd be driving home hearing these voices to drive into the oncoming semi. So three times I found myself in the ditch at different times. And I'd phone him and I'd say, I'm sick, can you come and get me? That was the time when cell phones just came out, so praise God there was a cell phone that I could phone him. I was devastated. He was busy running his business. He did shift work. Um, and these voices were real to me. So I met a doctor. I was 
kind of dragged down the road into a doctor's office from work when I wanted to go off work. And that was the day that I really thought I was going to take my life. And so at that point, my um, company called my doctor's office and I get into my doctor's office to meet this doctor that I had no idea I was meeting because my regular doctor had gone home sick that day. So as I say it, this little old man comes out and leads me into his office and I thought, oh, of course I had this in my mind that this is what I'm doing, nobody's going to stop me. So I sat down in his office and he could see the stress. He probably could see anxiety. And this is back in like 1993, right? Anxiety was never really talked about. Stress, leave, was never talked about. And uh, there I was in, in his office, him looking at me saying, well, he says, so what's, what's going on here? And he, w he didn't have the best bedside manners. <laughs> he wasn't this comfortable doctor and, and, and making me feel good. So I was scared to share with him. And after he kept probing me and probing me, I said, okay, I'll tell you what's wrong with me. I'm hearing voices. And he's like, oh, yeah. He says, and what are the voices saying? And I says, well, they're telling me to kill myself to drive onto the oncoming semi, and I feel that that's what I'm going to do. Oh, he says, yeah, this is serious. So I kind of thought, well, what's he going to do? You know, what's this man going to do? And so he says, can I ask you something? He says, if I knew somebody could take these voices away, would you like to meet him? And I'm like... Really? I says, you know somebody? Like, I, I, I never heard this response ever before. And he looked at me and he says, well, let me tell you something. He said, I'm, I'm thinking that if you believe in voices, which I know where they're coming from. He says, do you, do you know where they're coming from? I said, no idea, just in my head. He says, well, I think they're coming from the devil. And if they're coming from the devil, and he said, do you agree? And I said, I, I guess so. And he says, well, then, he says, if you believe that, I says, well, hold it right here. I says, I don't believe in church. I don't believe in religion. I don't believe in all this stuff. And uh, he said to me, well, he says, I'll tell you what. He said, I can get rid of the voices by introducing you to somebody that will take the voices away. So I said, well, who is it? And he says, Jesus Christ. And at that point, I looked at him and I said, and how do I meet him? Now, this is a, this is a family doctor, a family physician that was going way out of his league to even attempt to bring this into our conversation, but he knew, he knew that this was God. And so we prayed in his office that day. And he started writing down on a, on a prescription paper. 
And I said, oh, hold it. I don't need no more drugs. You see, with that rotten lifestyle I had, I had drugs along with it. I said, I, I'm, I'm clean and free of drugs. I don't need that. No, he says, I'm taking you off work for three months. He says, I'm going to give you a name of a book. And uh, I want to see you back here. And you take the book home, read the book, and then come back and see me. Well, the book was um, Neil Anderson. It was called The Bondage Breaker. And if any of those people out there have read that book, it's incredible. I think the caption reads, Negative Thoughts, Irrational Thinking. I read that book. I couldn't put that book down. Uh, so here I am with my new book. I drive home. My husband comes home that evening. I'm jumping for joy. I'm telling him I was at the doctor's. They took me off work. I'm off on stress leave. I got a book. I know Jesus, and he's looking at me. <laughs> and I was so excited, but he wasn't as excited as I was. He had no clue what I was. He, he honestly thought, I think, I went back to drugs. <laughs> And he says, hold it. He says, You're, you, you know who? I says, Jesus. What, or, what does that mean? I says, well, it means that we're going to go to church, and we're going to praise God, and everything is going to be better in our lives. He said, oh, yeah, not for me, for you. So here I was, <clears throat> married to this wonderful man, and he was. He was wonderful. He just didn't know Jesus like I knew Jesus. So as our, as our uh, marriage started unfolding, I, uh, I started taking counseling. The doctor that, was, that had given me the book had recommended it was Dr. Highmarsh. So for those who know Dr. Highmarsh, like bless his soul, he's in heaven now. And, uh, and he was just a wonderful man. So at that point, when we were counseling, he said, you know, Melinda, I recommend that I'm going to give you to another lady at the church who counsels, uh, you know, young girls, women. And uh, I think you'll, you'll get along with her just fine. So I started seeing a counselor. And she started to talk to me about Jesus. She started going through my past. It started making sense of why I made the choices I did. I remember sitting in her office one day, and I said to her, oh, you know, I'm so excited. I got this new life. I never have to go back and talk to any of those people from my past. And she's like, oh, hold it. <laughs> she says, I don't think that's really what God wanted. And I said, well... I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And she goes, well, first of all, you're going to have to confess to your husband. But you pray on that. So there I was, after our first year anniversary, I'm telling my husband the truth about me. Now, at that point, I didn't know my husband that well, like I thought I did. He struggled with unforgiveness. I didn't know that. 
it started revealing itself. His mom cheated on his father. His grandpa was killed by a drunken driver a mile and a half from their farm when he was 17. His first girlfriend cheated on him when he moved her in. And he didn't trust anybody. And he didn't forgive. And he wasn't going to forgive me. So as I watched his pain and tried to bring him to Jesus. Now that's one thing I don't recommend. That's God's job. It wasn't my job. So we were married, and I was thankful that he, we chose not to have children. And uh, we had our business. We had our life together. I was serving God. He wasn't. His friends would come over. They'd say, uh, <laughs> is she, like, is she weird? Or, like, she doesn't drink, and she doesn't, she's not like us. How are you going to live with that? He says, well, I'm just, like, she's my wife, you know, and, and uh, after a while, he said to me, um, you know what? He says, I think we need kids. I think we should have children. I said, we decided not to have children. And he said, well, look at it this way. Who's going to look after us when we're old? <laughs> I, so, you know... Before I agreed to anything, I went to God, <laughs> and I said, Lord, do I have to have children with this man? <laughs> what are we going to do? How am I going to raise them? How are you going to? Oh, no, it was going to happen. So at 36, I had my daughter, and at 38, I had my son. Now, of course, I had this wonderful life, and nothing could shake me. My husband couldn't shake me. I couldn't get lured back into that lifestyle. Nothing was going to shake me. So there was the devil figuring, well, I got a plan. That's all I could see is his plan at times in my life. And he decided that health, I'll pick on her health. So there I was at 36. And seeing a guy in a call just, he said, you know, you're high-risk pregnancy. You had an abortion at four and a half months pregnant. And I don't know if you're going to be able to have this baby. But, you know, I prayed to God. And I laid there when I went into labor. I was three days in labor. They... Um, uh, induced me three times and I begged the Lord I said Lord whatever you want I just laid in there when the doctors and nurses and my mom was out of the room I just laid there and said Lord it's all yours you know and then my mom would come in and my mom wasn't a believer and she says you know where is that God of yours when you need him <laughs> I said, well, he's here, Mama. I said, I'm going to have a baby. Well, all of a sudden, this gynecologist whirls in there. Uh, Dr. Sheraton was his name for those who know him. He whirls in there, and he says, listen, my friend, you are going to have an emergency C-section, and that baby is going to come out. 
And I had a beautiful, healthy girl. And nothing was wrong with her. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Well, then, we had this wonderful little girl. And my husband peeks up one day and says, well, can't have one. Got to have two. <laughs> okay, Lord, it's all up to you. Two years and eight days to the day I had my son Noah. And did I go through the C-section? No. <laughs> they knew. He said, the gynecologist said, okay, Melinda, we're going to watch you nice and close. When it gets to be that day, you are not going to go into that labor again. I'm good with that, I said. <laughs> and Noah came out, and he was healthy. And I thank God for that. Well, it was getting on that Noah was two, Michaela was four, and wouldn't you know it, that husband of mine peeks up again, says, well, I think we did so well with those two, we should have a third. <laughs> That's when I really got on my hands and knees. I said, Lord, please, I'm turning 40. Just talk to him. Uh, any of you out there that doesn't or is in that situation with a husband that is not serving God and is um, you're serving God, I know how hard it is. That was not an easy time of my life. That was, it, it was, I think back, and I go, did I pray enough? Did I do this enough? Did I, you know? So we had our two children. And my husband got sick. He had a disease called diverticulitis. It's the highest form of Crohn's, and he didn't look after himself. The two things that those diseases, uh, that what don't help those diseases, stress and your food. His dad uh, had Crohn's and died of alcohol. So. Meantime, I'm dealing with a spirit of alcoholism on this farm at the same time. So we found out he got sick and they were going to operate. Uh, I woke up one night at four in the morning. I couldn't feel from my waist down. Gord and I were laying there. I said, Gord, Gord, you have to call the ambulance. He's like, what's wrong? I said, I can't feel from my waist down. He said, what happened? I said, I don't know. I knew. I asked God right there in that bed. I said, Lord, tell me, what's going on? It was an attack from the enemy. The ambulance came. They couldn't dis decipher nothing. They loaded me up. We lived in a three-story house. Down I went, down those stairs with this ambulance guy. They rushed me to the hospital, found out they did all this test, CAT scans, x-ray, nothing. Not sh they, it showed nothing. There was nurses in there going, there's something wrong with you. Are you sure it's not all in your head? I couldn't feel from my waist down. So my mom comes in. Yeah, where's that God of yours? <laughs> I said, Mom, he's right here. 
He's right here. And I laid in my bed and I said, Lord, heal me, please. This is a true story. <laughs> this, this is very true. I laid in that bed and I said, Lord, please. My mom came back the next morning. She says, tell me something. You're going to still keep praising that God when you're wheeling out of here in a wheelchair? Didn't you, I didn't even think twice. I said, yep. I was at a point in my life where I thought, I can handle anything. I don't care anymore. I just want God. This is the way, if he wants me this way, I'm good with it. I'm going to still worship him. And so that night I'm laying in the bed and the nurse has come in and she's doing my vitals and it's been four days. Special doctor, back doctor comes from Toronto. He's, he shows me the scans. He says, I, I, don't, I, I don't know what to say to you. I've never seen anything like this. It's like we can't see nothing. I knew right there. And I prayed out to God, and I bound that enemy, and I said, in Jesus' name, you have to leave. I fell back asleep. Come 6 in the morning, the nurse come in, and she's doing my vitals and my blood pressure. And, and she goes to my end of my bed, and she goes, Melinda, are you okay? And I says, yeah. And she touches the end of my bed. And I said, do that again, like with that blanket on my toe. She goes, oh, she goes, you probably think you feel something, but you really don't. You have no feeling. And I, I'm like, no, no. I, I said, and as she touched that blanket, this heat went up the top of my legs. Literally. It was like somebody took an iron, and just the heat from the iron went up my leg. And I said... Pinch my toes. Oh, she's like, I go, please, please. Okay, she says. So she's pinched. I go, go harder. And literally, the sensation of my legs started coming back. And I thanked God. I laid there and I said, call the doctor. She says, oh, I don't know what happened. This is a miracle. I'm like, amen, sister. <laughs> Finally, they're understanding. These are miracles. So I didn't roll out of there in a wheelchair. I went back to my farm. I was the submissive wife that my husband wanted me to be. Wasn't having another baby. <laughs> we had two. Uh, I says, he started going through his operations. It started deforming his body. They started putting mesh in his stomach to hold his stomach together. He wouldn't listen to the doctors. He worked on his equipment. He drank alcohol to take pain away. He was a closet drinker. I had no idea how much he was literally drinking. He started getting angry at the world. He started getting angry at God. He didn't want to hear about God. He let me raise my children in the church. I would faithfully take them to church every Sunday and just pray and pray. I worked full-time in, in the city here. I was at my job now for 33 years, and I felt sorry for my husband, so we had to sell his equipment and sell his business. And we, when we sold his business and sold his equipment, I could see his heartbreak, and I, I felt for him. So I said, Lord, we, we need to do something. He you know, it's not so much the money, 
he, he needs to feel like he's productive. So I went and I suggested him, I researched um, organic farming because we had a section of land and I said, we can, we can do something here. Well, he couldn't even farm. He couldn't drive a tractor. He couldn't drive a riding mower. And his, his stomach kept getting more deformed. One day I was sitting at the kitchen table and I was praying to God. And I spent a lot of time alone with the Lord, as I do now. And ladies, that's the best place to be. It, it's such a presence of the Lord and it's so peaceful and still and so, it, it's so, it, I, I can't describe it. So I sat at my kitchen table and I was kind of just straightening out the papers and, and I look and there's this folded up letter there. And I start reading this letter and it's addressed to my husband and I'm like, hmm. It's girl writing. You know girl writing. <laughs> I thought, hmm, girl writing. wonder who this is from. So I start reading it, and it's this letter of apology and forgive me and asking for forgiveness. Like when we were 19 and 20, and I'm like, what? Well, this was his first girlfriend. She wrote him a letter, and she was asking him for apology. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. I thought, wow, we've been married like now, like it was like almost 17, 18 years. And, and I'm thinking, he gets this letter? So then he comes in the house, and I said, Gord, this letter. I read your mail. Oh, give me that letter. That. And he throws it across the table. I said, honey, I said, she's apologizing. Who is that? Oh, that's that first girlfriend, and now she wants an apology. I said, Gord, please. Let's start there, I said. And then let's go to the drunken driver that killed your, your grandpa. And let's go there, too, and, and, and apologize. No. He said, no. Unforgiveness is a real bad route. So his health started more deteriorating. He had five operations in three years. We had a greenhouse. We went organic. Uh, I helped him. And of course, if you know anything about organic, you can't use chemicals. So everything was weeding. So I went from home, looking after two kids, looking after him, going to work, weeding, and my mother coming and saying, I don't know, I think you'd better get rid of God. <laughs> so, and off and off, everything kept going. So then I called his family because I could see his anger. It got to the point where I had to take my children out of the house quite a few times because he was so angry. And I was trying to protect him and them. And I really believe that if my kids didn't see their dad in that, in that situation, that they would still love him. That's all I wanted, is my children to love their dad. But they were small, they knew no better. So I just kept taking them out of the situation, taking them out of the situation. 
And then one day I took them out to my mom's place. She lived in Saskatoon at the time. And I asked her to keep them for the weekend. And I thought, I'm just going to go back home and maybe, I don't know, maybe we can have a romantic dinner or I can try something. Well, I get this phone call, and it's about 7 at night, and I'm at the grocery store, and he didn't even sound like himself. He says, he threatened me. He said, if, you don't, if you're not home in a half an hour, I'm burning all your stuff. And I'm like, what? He says, I'm burning all your things. I thought, oh, Lord, please. Like, I said, Gord, please, calm down. So, of course, I finished in the grocery store. It wasn't anything I was doing wrong. I get home. It's about a half an hour drive. So it was about an hour. I get there. As I'm driving down our long driveway, I see this smoldering smoke. And it's past the greenhouse. And I'm like, well, that's not the, that's not the burning barrel. And as I'm getting closer, it's it's dark out, I pull around the greenhouse, and he's got a big pit, and things were, like, there was a fire, and I'm like, what's he burning? I got out of the car, and I walked up close to the edge of the fire, and I could see the plastic hangers, all melted. He burnt my clothes, my makeup, my jewelry, my shoes, my coat, my boots. And I remember seeing a counselor one time. It was a secular counselor. And they told me that your marriage is in jeopardy. And you have to l start looking at other avenues. Of course, I went into God's word. And God says in his word, I hate divorce. I wasn't going to divorce. So I ended up at that point, Gord kept saying, I want you to move out. I want you to leave. It was the hardest thing I could do. I packed up my, my suitcase. I bought a little place in the little town of where we live near the farm because the lawyer told me he will get full custody of your children unless you move close to their school. So I did. I took my children over there one day and I said, this is going to be your other house. I never told them that I was leaving their dad, that I was divorcing, that I was separating. I just said, you're going to have two houses. I was no longer, no, so I was in that house not that long and dealing with him, he threatened everything, he, th you know, he was angry at this point. The kids, uh, sh we shared custody, they went there a week, they came to my house for a week. The day before Mother's Day of that year, I got diagnosed with cancer in my mouth. They didn't know even where it came from. The dentist caught it. I thought, Lord, you just took me out of that. And now I have this. Is this really you, God? 
what what's going on in my life. But I still praised God. I got past the cancer, praise God. And right after I had my cancer, my mom phones me. And she says, can you come and see me? At this time, she was retired in Penticton. And there she was in Penticton by herself. And she had a lovely place. The kids and I visited her every summer. And uh, she proceeded to tell me that she had lung cancer. My mom was 68, and she died of brain cancer in 2015. While I was down in Penticton with my mom, looking after her, and I knew she had terminal cancer, I sat on the end of her bed, and by the way, my mom did give her life to the Lord a year and a half before then. Thank you, Jesus. I brought my mom back down here before she died. And on our trip back for three days after, well, it was about a whole month being down in Penticton, she witnessed to everybody, the doctors, the nurses. She told everybody about Jesus. And when she couldn't talk anymore, she'd say, talk to my daughter. She knows all about God. <laughs> and mom and I led 17 people to know Jesus. Yeah, it was a miracle. I thank God for that. You see, when God does things, it's unique. It's really unique how he works. I, I, I just thank him for everything that he's brought me through. I, I couldn't imagine even wanting to share this like 10 years ago. But I never drowned myself in my pain. I always leaned on his lap. I was like a little girl, they said, going to him all the time and saying, Lord, do you hear me? There was times I got mad at him. I got mad at him when I had to leave my kids with their drunken dad. And God said to me, I love them more than you ever could. That was his answer to me, and I just backed off. I said, okay, Lord. And then when my mom got her cancer, I said, we just developed a relationship. She's, we're actually witnessing together. We're sharing Jesus. He said, that's okay. I said, God, you're a God that can move mountains. You could take that brain cancer right out of her head. You know what he said to me? Melinda, your mom needs rest. She needs peace. Don't worry, I'm going to look after her. I was okay with that answer. When I brought my mom down here, or when I was down in Penticton, pardon me, before I brought her down here, I sent my kids home in August because that was their month that they would be with their dad. We had a hard time reaching him, and I asked the kids, phone your family and ask them where your dad is, because I can't reach him. And I thought, that's unusual. He would still reach me if he was mad, you know. He checked himself into the hospital on August 8th here at uh, RUH. And uh, on August 22nd, he died. He was 50 years old, and he died of alcohol. 
And my two kids came out of that incredibly strong because of God. It was only because of God. It wasn't anything I did. So we've had a lot of death in our family, had a lot of sickness. Um, meanwhile, when I was married to my husband through the through the, they found the slip disc in my back. Eventually, that's what paralyzed me. I woke up one morning to find myself with Bell's palsy on my face. Can't tell now. Jesus healed it. Gone through cancer. And I thank God. I want to pray, uh, Lee, if that's okay with women that are, if any of that touched your lives, Please let the Holy Spirit, please let Jesus come into your heart and speak to you. Because our God is real. And we need him. I'm just going to bow with you. And Father, we just come to your throne room. Thank you, Father, for bringing us together here tonight. It's only by your your divine purpose and divine meeting, Father. Father, I know sometimes our lives take such turns to the worst, but Father, you're already ahead of the game. You're already way up there knowing what's ahead. Father, just prepare our hearts and our minds. Holy Spirit, just guide us in a special way and give us comfort when we need comfort. And Father, Give us the strength, the authority in your name to call out to you and say, Lord, I need you. What's happening? Because that's the kind of God you are. You love us just like we're your, your children. Father, just again, with meek hearts and mildness, Father, I just ask for those who seek you, and have been desiring a change in their life, Father, it doesn't have to be something that is going to be outrageous. But, Father, if they ask, ask in Jesus' name to come into their heart, that you will honor that and come in and live in their hearts. Father, I just pray this right now in your precious Son's name. And I thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Now, if anybody wants to pray with me afterwards, I'd love to pray with you. You know, it's a simple little prayer. When I sat in that doctor's office, I had no idea what I was doing. But he did. God prepared that. He planned that pathway. And I'm never scared to go up to perfect strangers to this day and see the stress in them or the hurt in them, anger in them. I just know they, know they need Jesus. I know that. My first question to them is always, do you know where you're going when you leave this earth? It's very important to know where we're going. 
and I want to thank God for everything he's done in my life. And thank you for allowing me to share my testimony with you. Sometimes it can be a little edgy, but it's the truth. And I have no regrets from it. I have no shame. <laughs>